we're going to be hitting pause on our walk through uh, the epistle to the Galatians until after, after Advent in the Christmas season. Instead, we're going to be focusing our attention on a series that I'm calling the Songs of Christmas, while we move through the season of Advent in preparation for celebrating Christmas. We'll be looking at various songs and prophecies over the next four weeks in the Gospel of Luke surrounding the birth of Jesus. Today, we're going to be focusing on Mary and her song of praise, which is sometimes called the Magnificat, found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary was a young woman who was promised to a man named Joseph, who happened to be a descendant of King David. She was a virgin and had not yet been officially married to Joseph, when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and announced, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancient ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary finds herself confused and wonders how this is possible. Gabriel explains the particulars and tells her that her cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is with child, because with God all things are possible. Mary responds out of a humble servant's heart, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. After her visit with the angel, Mary goes into the hill country of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, whose son will be John the Baptist. Upon greeting one another, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and without being told knew that Mary was to be the mother of the Lord. And she told Mary upon her arrival that the baby inside her jumped for joy. Elizabeth goes on to say, You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And we get Mary's response in our passage this morning. Turn with me as I read from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word to us this morning. I spent a lot of time struggling through this passage this week in preparation for the sermon. It was my goal to get the sermon written by Wednesday so that I wouldn't have to worry about it going into Thanksgiving. Instead, I spent most all week struggling with this passage, unsure of what it was that God wanted me to communicate. I actually wrote four different sermons over the course of the week because I was struggling with the text. None of the thoughts, ideas, or pieces fit together when I tried to write. So I decided to take a step back to figure out why this was such a difficult passage for me to write a sermon about. After some prayer and a little space from my laptop, I came to a realization. I wasn't struggling because I didn't understand the text. My problem was genuinely the opposite. 
I was struggling so much because I did understand the text. I struggled because Mary's song is filled with all kinds of challenges to us about how we see the world we live in. It's really revolutionary stuff if we take it seriously, and that was my problem. God was doing some stuff in my heart this week through the passage that revealed some stuff in me that I really needed to take a long, hard look at. And that is what, in part, the scripture is meant to do. It's meant to show us those places where our thoughts, our ideas, our hearts are either in line or out of line with God's heart. This passage is so challenging because it flies in the face of everything that the world has taught us to believe about how the world works for us. The world has taught us to pursue power, wealth, and fame. Pride is often viewed as a positive characteristic. We are taught to overlook, if not outright ignore, the powerless, the marginalized, and the oppressed when they cry out for justice. Instead, we're quick to dismiss their cries, if we hear them at all. And we listen to the opinions and musings of those that are out of touch with everyday people because they have power and prominence. Let's look at Mary. Worldly wisdom would dictate that if God was going to choose a woman to bear his son, it should be a woman of prominence, of means and resources, a woman who was respected and held the ears of powerful people. But God in his wisdom went in a different direction. He chose a young woman, not yet married, from a very small town who had no means, no influence, and no power. She was humble in spirit and in station. There was nothing about her that the world would have chosen. But as we see in verse 48, God was mindful of the humble state of his servant. Where the world would have chosen pride, God chose humility. When the world would have chosen power, God chose meekness. When the world would have chosen riches, God chose poverty. When the world would have chosen influence, God chose a poor young woman who had no influence, but would one day influence the world as the mother of Jesus. God was mindful of the humble state of his servant. He knew the trials and tribulations that would befall the mother of the Messiah. He knew the heartbreak that would come one day when she had to watch him on the cross. He knew the heart of Joseph, the man that she was promised to marry, and he knew the good father that he would be. He also understood the social stigma that would come with being an unmarried pregnant woman. And he saw Mary, a humble servant, ready to answer his call. The world tells us that in order for big and important things to happen, that money, resources, and power are the way to get it accomplished. When God wants to accomplish something big, he does so through humble people of little means like Mary, who will faithfully answer the call to go where he leads. Mary was a humble servant of God that became a willing vessel, and God used her to change the universe. It was her humble heart and willingness to serve that made her right for the job at hand. And that's true of whatever job calls us, or for whatever job he calls us to do. We often get bogged down in our training or ability to do a job that God has called us to do, when in reality, God is less concerned about our ability or our comfort level with the ability to do the job, and is much more concerned about the condition of our heart. He can use any person, regardless of talent level, training, ability, or resources, as long as they have a humble heart and a willingness to serve. Those were Mary's qualifications. 
There was no training manual or baby book that prepared her to be the mother of the Messiah. She was simply willing and was humble enough to know she needed God for what needed to be done. This passage passage is also challenging because it clearly shows us who God tends to align himself with. God is in the business of uplifting the humble, like Mary, and tearing down the rich, powerful, and cruel who would use abuse and would oppress others. We see in verse 51 where God scatters the proud. In verse 52, when he casts down the princes from their thrones. And in verse 53, when he sends the rich away with empty hands. Those that are powerful, proud, and rich, who do little or nothing for their fellow human beings, are dealt with harshly by a God who stands firmly in the camp of the oppressed and marginalized. The world has has historically used wealth and power as a measuring stick for God's blessing. If a person has a lot of money, political power, or fame, when God has clear, then God has clearly blessed them. If you don't have those things, then God hasn't blessed you. In our culture, the accumulation of wealth and stuff often indicates to people that God has blessed them. However, in Mary's song, she paints a very different picture in regards to how God responds to power, wealth, and pride. Those things aren't so much a blessing as they are a stumbling block to a relationship with God. In fact, God is more interested in casting those folks down in favor of lifting up those who are powerless to do so themselves. That's really hard to hear, especially when we consider our place as the wealthiest nation in the world and our individual place as some of the wealthiest people in the world. You see, power and wealth make it hard for us to recognize our need for God. When we have all that we need taken care of, it becomes difficult for us to rely on God because we don't have any great need to drive us to rely on Him. It doesn't mean that we don't have a need for Him. It just means that wealth often blinds us to the reality of our need. Now, I know that many of us wouldn't classify ourselves as rich, but when you take into account that the average yearly income worldwide worldwide is around $18,000, which is well below the poverty line in the United States, it helps to put our wealth into perspective. And yet in many of the places that have low incomes and abject poverty, the kingdom of God is expanding rapidly. And it's in part because those in poverty recognize their great need for God to provide for them and to care for them. Great wealth often comes from selfishness and greed and an unwillingness to help care for those who can't take care of themselves and it creates systems that perpetuate the building of wealth at the expense of others. Take slavery as an example. Tremendous wealth was built on the backs of men and women stolen from their homes for free labor. That is the kind of foolishness that God stands against and is at work to cast down. Now understand, God does not cast down the proud, the rich, and the powerful strictly as punishment. His goal is transformation. Let's consider Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we get the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector who has an encounter with Jesus. Zacchaeus was a man who obtained his wealth by cheating other people. When he encountered Jesus, his heart was changed. He gave away half his wealth to the poor and promised restitution to those he cheated four times over. That's what Jesus does. He changes hearts and transforms people. Last week, we talked about how when Hagar fled from Sarai, she was seen and heard by God. The same is true here for Mary. Mary was seen, she was heard, 
She was noticed by God, by the God of the universe and was chosen by him to bear his son, the Messiah. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that what people really want out of life is to be seen, to be truly seen and to be known, to be known without fear of judgment and abandonment, to be fully seen, to be fully heard, to be fully known and to be loved and accepted for exactly who you are. God saw Hagar in this way and Hagar knew it. God saw Mary in that way. She knew it and she proclaimed it. In case you were unaware or forgotten, God sees you in that way too. He sees you. He hears you. He loves you and accepts you, accepts you exactly how you are. It doesn't mean he leaves you how you are, but he accepts you just as you are. Mary's good news is our good news as well. God noticed Mary and he notices you too. He did great things for Mary. And he will do great things for you too. The generations call Mary blessed, but his mercy moves from generation to generation for those who fear him. God took a peasant girl from nowhere with nothing and made her Mary, the mother of Jesus. God is in the business of uplifting the humble like Mary and tearing down the rich, powerful, and cruel who would use abuse, who would use, abuse, and oppress others. The powerful, proud, and rich who did little or nothing for their fellow human beings are dealt with harshly by a God who stands firmly in the camp of the oppressed and the marginalized. Which brings me to our take-home point this morning. God is mindful of the humble state of his servant. And our action point, as we enter into the season of Advent, take some time this week to consider your relationship with God. Mary was willing to be used by God. She had a humble heart and was willing to be used by him. Do you have a servant's heart or are you willing to be used for the good of his kingdom? What obstacles might stand in your way? Is it that you're comfortable with how things are? Are you proud? Are you afraid? Do you feel unworthy? If you do, then take heart. Just as God would use Mary from humble beginnings with no training, he can use you too. All it takes is a servant's heart and a willingness to say yes. Bob Goff, who is a lawyer and author of the book Love Does, says, I used to think that you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know you simply need to say yes. In the coming days, weeks, and months that are ahead of us, things will be hard. They'll be challenging. We still don't know exactly how all of this election stuff is going to play out. COVID-19 is uh, running rampant in a lot of communities. People are very sick. Some people are dying. But what is constant is that we have people in our lives that need to be loved and need to be cared for. Let us all say yes to being used by God to love our neighbor well in the coming days. Amen.